the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle of taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, along with Pastor Julian Gibb, talk with pastors and leaders about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Welcome to those of you who are listening and are watching at whatever time of the 24-hour day you happen to be uh, listening and watching us. Uh, Welcome. We're delighted to have you with us in this program called The Kingdom and Its Stories. And in this broadcast, we interview people just like you who have learned and are continuing to learn what it means to be Jesus' hands and feet, to be on mission, no matter what our calling is, what our vocation is. And today we have Andy Myers with us who's our guest, and Andy, welcome. We're so glad to have you. Thank you, Bob. Glad to be here. Yeah, well, we're glad to have you with us. Now, tell us, what's the elevator speech of who Andy Myers is? So, Go ahead. Well, um, I came to faith at a very young age. I asked Jesus into my heart at four, and I remember, actually, that day. And my dad was a pastor, grew Mm -hmm. up in the church. I was baptized at age eight. Um, I went into ministry at around 21 and uh, started, I worked in pastoral ministry, missions, um, nonprofits, and and other aspects of ministry. And uh, I love serving God's people, love serving uh, the church, and have really kind of landed, I think, onto what my calling is in life. How long did it take you, Andy, to get there, to that that calling in life? Oh, my goodness. Uh, Probably a good 15, 20 years. I never really quite fit the mold of like traditional church work, traditional church ministry, and felt uh, God's leading to the marginalized everywhere I turned. And um, it's a place where where it's uncomfortable, and yet I find great grace in that space. Wow. I love that. So you don't have to know what the calling is right now. Be patient. And it sounds like by implication of your story that the Holy Spirit will work in your life to bring you to that place. Is that right? That's right. Well, you know, God's direction to Abraham was not go here, there, there, there. He just said, walk. And when you get there, I'll let you know. (laughs) And so that's kind of how I live my life. I just walk and God says, here you are today. Well, okay. Well, tell us, what is that calling? So I work with an organization called the National Immigration Forum uh, with the Evangelical Immigration Table. And what we are is a policy and advocacy group for refugees and immigrants. Um, The moment you throw out that word immigration in our country today, all of a sudden people go here or here. I'm trying to get the Zoom parameters. You know, it's uh, it's 
bigger than that. It's become such a politically charged uh, word, but Jesus calls us to the least of these. Jesus calls us to really understand who our neighbor is. So we work diligently with offices in Washington, D.C., as well as around uh, the country and working with pastors, church leaders, business leaders, law enforcement, uh, border patrol, in order to understand the issue in immigration today and refugee crises, as well as work for policies um, that help to uh, not only just have a a better understanding of law, but also helping with uh, understanding stories. Well, you you hit one of my favorite words, stories, hmm. and um, so uh, we'll 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 get to that in a minute. But right now, I I, I want to deal with this thorny issue of the thousands of immigrants coming into our country, yes. uninvited. Yes. Now, you know a lot of their stories, hmm. so. Um, what what if we feel like look they they weren't invited they came illegally we think um and um they should go back to where they came from mm. uh, but i'm a follower of jesus and i've got this tension mm-hmm. in me and um, i know that jesus has a heart for refugees um but I'm not sure how I should respond to that. Help me. Help me, Andy. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try. I'm going to do my best. This is what I do on a daily basis. Um, the first, one of the first things that we have to go to is we have to go to the story of the Good Samaritan when they're asking Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus hits him with a zinger. We're all familiar with that story. Probably everybody listening on this radio broadcast But we don't realize sometimes the implication of what a zinger that was. In fact, if you remember at the end of that passage, um, they don't answer the Samaritan. They answer the one who helped him with their kind of heads down and they kind of shrink away. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. So we have to start there and we have to understand that sometimes, um, no matter what our political bent is, no matter what's going on in our world today, our first calling is to be a kingdom, is to follow in the kingdom of God. So when Jesus asked that question of who is my neighbor, it is everybody. It is anybody. So my first calling isn't as an American who's defensive about the borders of his country. My first calling is as a? As a citizen of the kingdom of God. Okay. But we also are a nation of laws and rule. And and one of the frustrating things about our work in immigration is we have not had any significant reform since gas was 93 cents a gallon. That's a long time ago. That's a long time. <laughs> and so our world has changed. I mean, even thinking the last three years since 2020, the fact that we're doing this Zoom today has just uh, shown us how much our world has changed And over the last 20, 25 years, our needs have grown. The refugee crisis has grown. People coming to seek, um, not just seek uh, a better life in America, because that's kind of what our thing is. Oh, they just want jobs. They just want this. And and actually, we have a lot of jobs for people to have right now. But a lot of them are fleeing violence in their countries. They're fleeing situations that they don't want their children to grow up in. And so they, they still view America as this beacon of hope. They still view America as the those first coming, you know, the ones who were coming on Ellis Island who who would would hear 
you know, give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. They still hear that. That that sound still echoes through the world today, but our world has changed. And so we have to understand that that we can develop a posture of welcoming, but we also need to work and advocate for laws and rule that help do it wisely. You know, what does Jesus say? Be be uh, wise as serpents, as gentle as doves in our world. And sometimes the rhetoric on both sides is so loud that those of us in the 77% in the middle just kind of go, oh, that's too loud. I can't, I don't want to deal with it. And so we don't. And so in Congress, it gets passed off. In Congress, it gets pushed off. It's used as a political carrot uh, during each election cycle. Andy, help me in, in my mind and heart. To understand what what's the what's it like? What was it that drew these people, you know, from Central America? I mean, who are they? I mean, are they just looking for a better life? Or, uh, but I mean, if if I need compassion for these people, I need to better understand who they are. Tell us. You know, in a general sense, or in a specific sense, if if you want to, you know, what is it that drives these people to go from Venezuela? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this is an incredible journey. Mm-hmm. Um, not not by plane. You know, some of them walk. Can't I? I can't get my mind around that. What in the world drove them mm-hmm. to do that? Well, I'll give you a few stories from different countries of folks that I've met. I've been had the privilege to go to Nogales, which is just two and a half hours south of Phoenix. Um, the border is literally not just in our backyard, it's in our front yard. And uh, working right across the, the border there, um, visiting a, a place called the Kino Border Initiative. And the Kino Border Initiative is actually run by a group of Catholic Jesuits, who um, are a welcoming center on the, the the Mexican side for folks that are find themselves at the border and have to go back. So, um, I met a man named Hector there. I've changed some names. So I met a man named Hector who is from uh, the Acapulco area. And he his job, he just had a normal job raising his family. Um, his job was to drive fish from one, the, the port, to another community a couple hours away every day. And that was his job. Get up, go early, pick up the fish, drive it. Um, along the highway one day, he gets stopped by a drug cartel. And the drug cartel tells him, hey, we're going to give you 30 days to consider that you're going to be hauling drugs for us as well as fish. Hector didn't want to do that because Hector is a follower of Jesus. Hector loves his children and his family and knows the destruction that drugs bring to a community. So Hector says no. They said, well, we didn't really give you the opportunity to say no. You have 30 days or we're going to find you. So Hector keeps going on his his route. Sure enough, a month later, they pick him up. They beat him. They leave him for dead in a canyon off the side of the road. And somebody happened to come by, saw him out there. They were walking through the the, the area there. It was like the Good Samaritans. It does. Yeah, it's very, very similar when I heard it. And uh they take him back to his house. Well, he can't live there. They know where he lives. So he decides to go to another city three hours away and start a new life. His first thought was not like, okay, hey, I'm going to go to, to Mexico. I'm going to go to the U.S. 
his first thought was, I'm just going to go start over somewhere else. I can get a job. So his brother had a construction job for him three hours away. He goes there with his family, uh, wife and kids, and they get a little apartment. He starts working. A couple months later, he was walking with a friend down the road and a police car pulls up next to them and just is driving slowly with them. And then they take off. So next thing you know, his his brother is frantically trying to get a hold of him saying, hey, they found out where you live. You have to go now. So he picks up his wife, family, and then they head across all of Mexico up to our border to claim asylum. Now, here, here's what some folks don't understand is that we just think that people are coming willy nilly. And if they get into our country, it's a free for all. Um, there is one really credible legal way for folks to enter our country today, right now, as the law stand, who are poor or have don't have the means uh, to hire you know, lawyers for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that is to have a credible asylum claim. So they can cross into U.S. territory since um, at Title 42, they had to kind of encounter it right before. Right. But Title 42 is, is over. They can cross into U.S. territory and surrender to the CBP agent. Say, hands up. I'm being, I've actually watched this happen. And then the officers take them into an interview space. And if they can establish a credible threat, much like Hector's story, or even probably more, because he, he didn't actually make it, um, then they're able to be in our country. Uh, even they can work at some points along the way um, until they're hearing and uh, until they're hearing in front of a judge about their asylum case. Um, so, so that's the hope for these folks fleeing violence. And, and sometimes we say, well, why don't they just go back home? Why don't they just do this? Why don't they just do that? So I like to put myself in their position. I, I'm a dad. I have four kids. Um, I would do anything for my kids' safety. And, and you think about putting yourself in the most uncomfortable place. Like, I love the comforts that I live in at home. Well, other cultures experience comfort. Like they know their food, they know their culture, they know their families. And so to make this choice where they have to now uproot everything they know and free, right. that is a crisis. And, and so if I put myself in their place and they have a credible story and everything checks out, I, I gotta, my, my compassion has to reach beyond like, well, are they going to come in? You know, who, who's coming? You know, that kind of talk. So I, I think when we get there, we can get to the, the mind of Jesus. Like Jesus said um, when he was in the Sermon of the Mount, he looked out on the crowds and it said he had compassion for them. Right. And that compassion in the Greek means um, to agonize with. Okay. And I think sometimes we feel bad for folks, but but how do we get to that mind of Jesus where we're like agonizing with them? And at some way we can put ourselves in their shoes and go, okay, now we've got to fix some things. And that's where it gets that's where it gets sticky because politicians don't live in immigration every day. Um, they've got a million things to think about. And when this pops up on the radar, it's usually the rhetoric that they hear. But I believe that as the church, much, much like my brothers and sisters down in Nogales, uh, working with folks on the other side, we can, as churches, begin to tell a different story and a different narrative and help our, our law um, makers to to understand our perspective. That's how representative government gets done, right? Right. Well, it's supposed to work that way. It's supposed to work that way, yeah. <laughs> Andy, uh, I need to just break in here to do a station break. 
For those of you who are listening and are watching, you're listening to the Kingdom and its Stories, where we interview brothers and sisters who are allowing Jesus to use them as his hands and feet, no matter what their vocation is, but saying, Lord, use me to to be your hands and feet to the hurting that I encounter in my journey. So welcome to the Kingdom and its Stories again. And uh, we're uh, interviewing Andy Myers, who is allowing Jesus to be, allowing his hands and feet to be Jesus' hands and feet. And he's talking to us about immigration and those refugees who come across our southern border and a very sticky political issue in our country at this point in time. And Andy's trying to help us to understand what it means from the perspective of those who immigrate. Why would they do, why would they make the trek and the journey? Why would they make the decision, um, to undergo this incredible, um, pilgrimage, um, at great risk to come to our border and seek asylum? Andy, you were telling me when I spoke with you yesterday or a day before that many of those who come across our border are followers of Christ. Tell us about that. Sure. I don't have the exact statistic, and I thought I did, but I did not. It's a high number of, uh, especially the families, the the women and children that are fleeing uh, violence in uh, Guatemala, El Salvador, uh, Southern Mexico are followers of Jesus. And they do, and, and specifically evangelicals, um, those areas have a high evangelical concentration. And so one of the motivators for them is when a cartel moves into their neighborhood, um, they they want to recruit their children for gang work. And to no, dro- wait, wait a minute. You're saying the cartels come into a neighborhood, yeah, and they recruit children mm-hmm. without a choice. What, what? Just unpack that. Yeah, so they'll they'll go around and knock on your door, and um, they'll go into poor neighborhoods where a lot of maybe people need jobs, maybe people need work, and basically conscript them into service of the cartel, saying this is what you're going to do now. And we'll pay you. invite them. This is what you're going to do. What you're going to do now, and we'll we'll pay you if you do it. If you don't do it, we'll kill you. And so, uh, story of Maria and her three small children that were coming of this age. Um, she lived in uh, she lived in southern Mexico, and she remembers the night that bullets were zinging through her wooden house. Imagine that. Okay. Bullets zinging through her wooden house. So she and her children escaped to the only concrete um, building in their community, which was a church. And the the priest hid them in the church until another friend was able to take them on their long walk and treacherous journey up to the border. And she fled because she did not first she she did not want her children involved in this kind of activity. Um, And secondly, because she feared for her life. And and so 
we start to understand these choices that these parents but, have. To Andy, wait, wait, let me back up. Why were the bullets flying through her house? Were were they being aimed at her house? No, threat or. So they were in a uh, there was a rival gang war that had bro- like a skirmish that had broken out in her neighborhood about a cartel wanting to take over that neighborhood okay and in doing so then the 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 kids that live there and the people that live there then have to start working for them it's it's horrific they have to start have to start. Mm-hmm. not a choice not a choice unless you leave unless you leave unless, unless you can escape so being someone who loves Jesus and loves her children, that's not a choice that she's going to make for them to stay. And, and being somebody who is, I would consider very courageous to make that journey because along the way there's extortion, there's, um, there's danger, there's threats of death. There's, there's like, it's an arduous journey. Like I, another story is I, I met a young Venezuelan man who had made it to the United States and he he fled Venezuela and Venezuela is actually one of the countries that get an automatic asylum case because of their, the nature of their government currently. Yes. But they still don't, you know, it's not like free tickets are dropping out of the sky for Venezuela's there. They have to get here somehow. And with the little money he had, he was able to go to Colombia and then walk all the way from Colombia up through Mexico. It took him over a year uh, in order to, what? yeah, took him a year. And he, he told me about he was robbed along the way. Um, there was one part of the jungle. It's called the Durian Gap uh, through the jungles of Colombia where they have to pay uh, people to take them through for safety. Like this is this is happening in our world today. So and, and another thing, it's, it's kind of like it has like our apprehensions at the border have slowed down significantly in the last two months. Um we were everybody thought that once title 42 ended we'd see this grounds like a huge influx and it's actually dropped i think yesterday it, it was 600 apprehensions in the month of and uh, what why why is it dropped so there's always different factors um some of them like our some of like a lot of our officials have been working with those countries in order to help folks get better protections in their home okay. so some of that has started to work um it's hot. <laughs> so the, uh, that the time of year does kind of dictate uh, the number of, of people coming through. Sometimes they'll remain in a, a, a more temperate climate for a while while they make their way. Um, so there, there's just a lot of different factors. So it took your friend from Venezuela. Yeah. A year. A year. Mm-hmm. And when he got here, there was a, a church uh, again, like we all want to be around people who understand us, speak our language know our food, things like that. So a wonderful Hispanic church in in the, the greater Phoenix area was able to help him because he was connected with somebody there. And so, so they, he did get across the border because he, he was Venezuelan. So he, he was granted uh, um, asylum. Yeah. Okay. So, so tell us his story. So how did he get to this church in Phoenix? So he had a friend that was there that he had met, and it was like a friend of a friend. And so he was able to um, just come up and connect with his friend. And then the church was able to get him some work, get him a, a little place to live with with one of the families while he waits out his hearing. So, Okay. Wow. I just, I, says, Bob. you know, I'm a pretty adventurous kind of guy. I, I, I just, it's hard for me to imagine a year's journey on foot. 
yeah. from Venezuela to the border. Of one the more quick stories. One of our one of our common thinking, you know, thinking is they're all coming from Central and South America. We work with a group in Tucson called Casa Elitas, and they're a welcoming center. And so when folks get picked up by CBP and ICE, they are brought there while they're, you know, to go to other places of the country. Um, 95% of all of the single men coming through that welcoming center are from South India and Mauritania. What? Yeah, from Mar- South India and Mauritania. A lot of, most of them are Sikhs from Southern India that are, are right now experiencing religious persecution. And they are now, uh, they like one man, I'm, I he wasn't there when I, I met his friend, but the people at the center told me he had gone from South India to Dubai. And then from Dubai had walked and driven by car, bus and camel over to the western coast of Africa, where he caught, hopped on a plane to go to um, to go to Colombia and then began his journey of walking. Oh, man. Yeah. When you realize this kind of background, it sort of put it, 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 we need to put ourselves in those people's position and and ask the Lord, Lord, help us to have compassion mm-hmm. on those folks. Thank you, Andy Myers, for sharing with us today. And um, and it's been an inspiration just to listen. And um, I want to encourage our folks to use these stories to help us better be Jesus' hands and feet today. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Bob. Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on the Kingdom and its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.